You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. I don't put a whole lot into to 10 in a row unless they were uh, 10 in a row in the playoffs. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the 10 in a row podcast. podcast, podcast. All right, man, we talked about it before because we experienced it in 1819. I remember in 1819 when this team was just going. And every two weeks it was like, oh, yeah, here's a new fucking record or a new new something record. Here's another record. Oh, first team in the league. 520 goal scorers, all of this, all of that, all of fuck, all, all. So every week there was something new. And we started seeing this trending again this season a while ago. Every week there's some fucking new thing. Like well, this week, this week it's Elias Lindholm. Now he's now he's setting franchise records. Tied with is it Nielsen and Gary Roberts. And Gary Roberts. And he got that taken back from him. <laughs> and then he scored again. Dude, he is um let's talk about Elias Lindholm because is he not one of the most dangerous goal scorers in the league currently on this current hot streak he's playing with one? How uh, many he... players how many players do this? They score eight in a row. This is a, of ridiculous goal scoring throughout the history of the league that score this many goals in a row. Well, I think Daryl put it well. He said Lindholm is a game breaker. Was that after Eric Lindholm's forte is not scoring goals? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Eric Francis. You know, what are you going to say about Lindholm? Uh, you know, not really his game. It's his forte scoring goals. You know, what is this? Of, he kind of does just does other things. Goal scoring is not really his forte. Oh, my God. What is his what? Daryl's just like, oh, uh, I don't know about that. And we've seen him go on stretches before. When he go, but I've never seen him go on this type of heater. Right, his heaters. He's been on the path. Little heater he's on right now. I swear to God, he's up there in the top ten for sure in goal scoring ability currently in the league. Oh, totally. I'm looking at the current goals above replacement leaders in the NHL. I believe he's cracked the, cracked the top 10 as of now um, with the likes of uh, David Pasternak, Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews. Like, that's how good this guy has been at sniping. Johnny Gaudreau is second in the league in terms of uh, total goals above replacement, I may add. So he should win the Hart Trophy this year. <clears throat> but holy shit, like, Lindholm is now, like, because, okay, we've had, what, Monaghan has been this team's sniper for the past five, six years. Yep, but I mean, we haven't seen a guy with has this, been has been keyword um, 
we haven't seen a guy with playing at this level in terms of putting the puck in the back of the net since, well, since Jerome McGinley, really. Like, I, like, can you remember a time when a guy was sniping and scoring biggest goals as this guy has been over the last 10, 15 games? Well, Manjipani's had spurts, but not even Manjipani's done. What is he's eight now or, or nine? Eight right now, yeah. He's scored in eight straight games now. And I remember, right, because he went on a heater like this. I think it was – what season was it? Was it last? No, it was a season. It was last. Season? It was last year's 2019-2020. So not the horrible, awful, no fans last year, the year before. Yeah. But he was scoring all the first goals, right? He yeah, was like scoring that's the right. first. Yeah. Now he's scoring all the fucking game winners. Yeah. <laughs> it's clutch. Um, Do you have any more little fancy stats there on him that – God, he's been good. No, he's just been so good, and the top line's been fucking rolling. Um, Man, this top line, I don't know how, but it seems to be getting even better. How is it getting better? Like, it's already been the best line in the NHL for the last four weeks. It seems to be getting better. Well, it's just like Johnny Gaudreau is just so good right now. Um, like he's easily, I think right now he's the best offensive player in the league on a night to night basis. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, and, and here's the thing I got to throw this in there real quick before I forget. Um, we're coming down for a road trip, Kissimaki. We're going to beat the Edmonton game. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but if anybody is listening and you're at the game and we start winning and the game is in the books, I'll probably jinx it by saying this, but. Yeah. Fuck it, I'll do it anyways because we got to do it at some point. We got to get the Johnny is better chant going. Totally. Totally. And okay, so that should be when we're back to because that's in March, right? March 7th and 8th. Should 7th, be when yeah. we're back to full capacity. So there should be no, there should be no excuses to not have that place fucking bumping. Because you know what? Even Daryl said this the other day. Did you hear this? Yes. Daryl said he respects the saddle dome. And he it respects needs- it, but he expects the fans to be loud. And it expects. needs to be full. Those are the Me. words of our... Who says... What kind of animal says that? It's true. I don't remember any coach talking about what he expects out of the... It's like... He, not only does he, is he... He's honest with his players. He's honest with the media. He's being honest with us fans. So expects res- us... A loud crowd, and he respects the saddle though. Fuck, I love that man. <laughs> so but, Johnny's going off. The top line is insane. Yeah, like I honestly think he's probably the the biggest, most dangerous offensive player in the league right now. And I mean, combine that with Elias Lindholm's ability to snipe and Matthew Chuck doing. I know a lot of people want to say, yeah, Lindholm does a lot of the dirty work, but I do. Th- I think it goes. Um, under the radar, I've said this five billion fucking times. How much work Chuck does? Um, it's just an unstoppable. They're an unstoppable force right now. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Because I agree. I'm watching Johnny Gaudreau, and you're like, okay, I'll, I'll take him in the top five with anybody. Hey, sure, you want Austin Matthews because he's the best finisher in the game, and you'd probably take him over Gaudreau. Yeah, you'd take McDavid, but in the last twenty games, you wouldn't. Well, it's kind of like we're seeing this on a more uh, more consistent scale. Is like 
that 2018-2019 season. And yeah, we're going to be super biased because we're watching the Flames every night and we fucking hate Connor McDavid. But you kind of forget how goddamn good he was that year and how many nights we were just left going, holy shit, like I would almost rather take Johnny Gaudreau over Connor McDavid right now on my team. Like there, there were some nights and some stretches that year where that was, I think, totally true. Um, and I think you're seeing that again this year, except it's like, Almost every night, you're just like, man, he's just so fucking good. It's incredible. Yeah. Backlund has tapered off a bit, but when Backlund was going in that little stretch and that second line was producing with Monchi Pawnee, and then you have Coleman chipping in. Wow. Meanwhile, the top line hasn't, yeah, they haven't stopped at all. So you have that second line going with the top line right around the time you get to Foley, you're just like, holy fuck. And the fourth line's chipping in. It was just like, are we going to be unstoppable here? Well, yeah, and you've seen how important that second line has been. And, again, we we and a lot of people are talking about how good Lindholm has been and Gaudreau have been. But, I mean, fuck, when that second line is playing as well as they are and scoring goals like they have been, holy shit, does that make a huge difference? Like, I think Blake Coleman's playing his best, the best hockey he's played since he's been here. Manjapani has still been incredible. Backlund's second half backs, he's finally getting his shit together. Um. Like, it just makes a world of difference. Like, if that line can continue to score goals, it's going to be a game. Like, they're going to be nuts. Because, like, the top line is not slowing down. So, this team is going to be a pain in the ass to deal with if that line continues to score goals. Yeah, but the coach really Lindholm's forte, though. Yeah, it's not his forte. He's only scored what? Like, how many goals has he scored since he's been traded here? 610. Did he have more than Monaghan in 1819? I think Monaghan had 34. Lindholm had 27 or 29. So um, Monaghan did outscore him that year. Right before he fell off the face of the, of the earth. Eh? Right before he literally did a fucking nosedive into oblivion. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess we'll just flip this in here now while we're just talking about kind of everybody individually. But I mean, man, Monaghan. I've been watching him so closely. It's just like, it's sad, dude. Like, I know he scored a sweet snipe the other night and good on him. That's a nice shot. But, man, oh, man, the guy is just, i he's so, he's not terrible, but, man, is he not even close to ever being the player he once was. No, there's one play in particular. I think it was in the Jackets game where the team's breaking out, the line's breaking out. And on the wing, but Dubé had a, the puck coming up through the middle, and Dubé is just getting burn, hey, yeah. And then so he kind of like sucks the the D man in towards him, and he dishes over to Monahan's wing, and Monahan totally fucking bails. Like he's he's already has had bailed, so he was nowhere near where the pass where he should have been. If he was like fuck yeah, I'm getting on my horse. There goes Dubé. Let's I don't know like. We were like, okay, we've stuck up for Sean Monahan quite a bit on this podcast. And, but it's just getting harder and harder to do, man. Like, I don't know. It's good to see him scoring. I guess we're going to hold the hope that he'll see, he'll find some sort of a touch. But I mean, if you look at it game to game, it's just like he's still getting opportunities in tight. He's just like not even close to burying them like he used to. He's just he's not elevating in tight. He's just kind of like chipping it to the pack. 
I mean, yeah, that was a great snipe, though, right? Against who did you just play? The Jets. Winnipeg. But I don't know. What's your take? I mean, I think we can it's safe to say there's no way he he'll ever. I don't know ever, but you know. This season, he's not returning into into Sean Monahan form. Well, it what, was what's his ceiling? Yeah, I think the reason I'm saying this is because before the Mark Giordano homecoming game or whatever, I was watching a bunch of old Geo highlights because they were going around and it's like a lot of them were from like big three on three games. You know, when Monahan used to be the guy, you know, he's fucking Mister Overtime and shit. And it's just like he's he's looks great. You know, like I'm watching all these old three on three games. He's flying. He's hunting down pucks. He's creating his own scoring chances. He's shooting a lot. Just looks really good. Um, I, I even remember I was watching. I don't know why, but like that. Remember that Columbus game before the shutdown where TJ Brody scores and like Monahan drew out there. This is not even that long ago. You know, yeah. yep. he's working the puck behind the net three on three, just like a fucking horse. And then I watched him live on Saturday against Seattle, and it's like he's he's a fucking ghost out there. He's never in position. He's always two steps behind the play. Like it's just sad. Do you remember? I think it was after the the Colorado series the next season when we played Colorado in Colorado, and he set up the yeah, he the, scores, the, OT scores the overtime goal, just blows by everyone. Like he had Jets and finishing ability. Well, that's the oh, thing yeah. that I'm noticing watching him more closely is like the skating. Like, I guess maybe this is a hip thing, but like he does not have a, a second gear, let alone like a third or fourth, fifth gear right now. Like he just, well, he's, he's got no burst, right? For short distances. No, explo- no explosiveness. It's very odd. And then it seems to lost a scoring touch too, but, but we'll see. I mean, people are holding on to maybe Toffoli can kickstart that line. Although Dubé was benched for most of the Seattle game. And then did he have him on the fourth line for Winnipeg? Uh, yeah, he switched. He had swapped in the in the Seattle game. He was benched slash swapped a bit. I think he played a couple of shifts in the third period. Um, but he was back with Monaghan for, for the most part against Winnipeg, wasn't he? I feel like he was. I can't remember. I actually I've, missed. I've been watching a lot of hockey lately. So I missed like, the first. I missed the first bit of the Winnipeg game, but I mean, Daryl's been saying this, and he said it again after the Seattle game. And I don't know if it was. Yeah, it was somebody asking him straight up about Dubé, and he just said that the biggest change for this group. He said it before. Yeah. He says he'll say it again. You have to be consistent, right? He says a lot of them just they're up and down. And that's part of being young and adjusting to the game, but he's going to accordingly, right? The other thing you said that was interesting was because we're talking about the backline line going on off. And when you get to Seattle, now you just scoring two goals in Winnipeg, you basically score two goals and you get an empty netter. So the secondary scoring is starting to dry up again. Which is interesting, right? Because his take on it is when you're when you're scoring in bunches, you're coming in waves as a group. And I think somebody asked him, like, how do you keep this team from taking their foot off the gas? 
we just skip. said when you're scoring in bunches, it's it's easy to start thinking that you can just keep passing and keep scoring. When in actuality, it doesn't really work like that. So he's drilling it into these guys after every game, after every win, he's drilling in to these guys how to continue to build. And I mean, you sent me a text. You listen to it like we could literally have a five-hour podcast just on taking the Sutterisms. But this guy is ridiculously, he's got to be one of the smartest hockey minds. He's got to be to ever, you know, be involved in the game, especially behind the bench. Oh, dude, it's it's night and day. And I mean, even like they asked him about how, how do you feel about the 10-game winning streak or whatever? And he's like, I don't really care if it's unless it's a 10 game winning streak in the playoffs. It doesn't really mean it. It's like, holy fuck, dude. Like what a night and day difference between what this organization's coaches have been doing for the past seven, eight, nine years. You know, you got Wardo jerking himself off after like you beat Toronto once and um, bragging about how they won a playoff round, like a fake playoff round. And like, it's just like, man this team needed this so bad. And I mean, I, everyone's super impressed with the high scoring games. Like those are fun games to watch. And it's like, Holy shit, the flames are awesome. But I was much more impressed with the wins against Seattle and Winnipeg. Those are tight, close games that you'd probably lose last year. I probably, you would have lost last year. hundred percent. You lose those last year. And it's like Daryl says, like, you know, the, the scoring dries up, um, especially in the playoffs when, when things are really tight and you need to be able to win two, one and three, one, like he fucking loved those games. You watched him against Winnipeg. That's the Daryl Sutter. That's him and his element, dude tied one, one in the third period. And it's like, fuck. Yeah. We're going to win this game. <laughs> like I remember game uh, when they beat the Red Wings in 2004 in the second round, like game five, they won oh. one, nothing and game six, they won one, nothing. It was fucking awesome. Yeah, he was, and then he's saying it's funny because he's saying after the game, the Seattle game, that the secondary scoring, but he's still harping on his yeah. team, right? He's like, this is going to be a problem if it's just Lindholm, Johnny Gaudreau, and Matthew Kachuk scoring our goals on a nightly basis. We need other guys to chip in. So, Backlund went off there for a week and a half. He looked like he was possessed. Great to see. But this is the beauty, like you said, when you compare a guy like Ward or Gulletson to a guy like Daryl Sutter, because Daryl Sutter is not going to be okay with Backlund just showing up for a week and a half over an 82-game season. So now that he's seen what he can do, he knows that's where the bar is going to be set. It's going to be interesting to see the evolution of Backlund here in the second half. Yeah, and I thought um, Daryl's points were noted, too. He was saying something about uh, in the season, like you have, to, you have to correct things every game, right? And you don't really do that in practice. You do that on a game-to-game rolling basis. And he was talking about, yeah, we still have to clean up a lot of areas of our game, turnovers mainly. Like, I mean, some pretty brutal turnovers. Like the Seattle game was sloppy. I know the Flames dominated. Um, and they ultimately win a close game, but that Hannafin that Hannafin oh, turnover, oof. whoa! But they they couldn't make a pass. They were they were sloppy as shit on uh, um in that game. So 
there's still some areas to clean up and that's what you that's what you want like because you're building this is practice right this whole season is just practice for come playoff time and too many times we've seen this team like we've like exactly what happened in 2018 2019 right like, holy fuck we're unstoppable and then when shit gets real they just folded like a fucking tent um and yeah. it's because <laughs> they didn't have a guy like daryl sutter behind the bench to man the ship and they didn't have somebody correcting their mistakes all season well, that's a good way to put it that this is practice for the playoffs. And that is literally how Daryl thinks. Everything that Daryl is doing, every single thing that Daryl does and gets his team to work on and stuff in the entire 82 length season is preparation for the playoffs. He everything he does, he's preparing for the playoffs. You take that in contrast to a guy like Ward, he's so absorbed in the regular season. He doesn't even think about the playoffs until he gets there at the last minute. He's like, okay, now let's prepare. How, what's our game plan here? Like Daryl is, he's been preparing for this, for the playoffs before he even took the job. Well, yeah, he was saying, right. Like he was saying, like, I've watched this team the last two years. I know what's wrong with them. I know why they're not good. He was saying that like two days ago. I mean, before he even has one practice, he's talking about winning the step. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. And then he gets asked after the, the Seattle game. I don't know who it was. Was it Kristen Anderson? Is it nice uh, for a coach? Do you sleep? I'm on the next game. On to the next one. This guy's done spending any time. Like like you said, there's Jeff Ward jerking himself off. Goes home feeling good about himself all night. Soaking in the wind. Meanwhile, Daryl's already game planning for the Winnipeg game. Win or lose, on to the next one. And I mean, you're seeing that in the players too. Like, oh yeah. Whenever I see interviews with the guys now, like, and sure, it's just talking shit, but that permeates. It's it's always about getting better. It's always about there's things we need to improve. Um, like they're in that ten game winning streak, and they're just talking about how you know they need to keep going like Kachuk I think was talking before the Seattle game about how they there's so there's areas of the game they still need to clean up like fuck these like dude they're saturated in the setter mindset well there's they're saturated in the like you said it's it's no longer that you're entitled to shit it's like you got to earn it now you know and so oh, one other thing I want to say Daryl was pointing out like with the turnovers and stuff he's saying one thing they've been trying to work on is being able to play against other teams' top players. Um, and, like, we have se- we saw the Flames kind of get their ass kicked against uh, Florida, and Carolina, and Tampa Bay, mostly because the backland line got creamed. Um, but the backland line, who often plays against other teams' top players, has been really good. So that's an area that uh, Daryl's really been harping on, obviously, as well. So... I love how after the the Winnipeg game because he was on fire, man. Hey, he had that. Uh, yeah. Don't put much in. Don't put much into ten or on the ten or on the playoffs. And then um, I think it was was it, it was, I think it was Kristen Anderson again asking him about do you enjoy this cushion? Is this a nice cushion? <laughs> <laughs> He's just like I don't know if they're there. 
but he's just staring at at wherever this question is coming from. And he's just like, cushion? What's cushion? A cushion? And then he kind of stares in the other direction. And the look on his face is like, you got to be fucking kidding me. And then he, his answer is a cushion is a pillow with feathers. <laughs> Every game you lose, take a few feathers out. Pretty soon there's no cushion at all. You need 100 points to make the playoffs. Fuck, he's funny, man. Dude, the best are when he get, when he go when he takes over the the pressers. Like I think Steinberg asked him, like, "What's the constant in all this, Daryl?" He did the kind of the same dead stare. He's like, "What? What's a constant?" He said um, something. I don't know if you heard this. He probably did. Did you hear his take on the on the offside? Yeah, that was. This is like one of the most brilliant solutions to the offside issue. And I I was like I can't believe nobody's ever said this before. Maybe they have and I missed it. But holy well, shit, it's never the thoughts never crossed my mind. Me either. Crosser. This was like this almost blew my mind. Yeah. So Daryl saying this is on the the Lindholm goal or it gets called back where it's like you could what's what's how offside was that? Like it's meters? a half millimeter, less than a centimeter offside. But he says I've never understood this. If the blue line is in play to keep the puck in the zone, meaning you're, say you're on the power play and your D-man's on the blue line, he can use the blue line and it's on side. If the blue line is in play to keep the puck in the zone, why isn't the blue line in play when you're carrying the puck in the zone? And you're just like, holy fuck, why not? He says there's two different rules for the blue line. Why? It'll probably solve that, that, that issue right there. Would it not? Dude, that's the, I can't even like, I thought it was stupid before I was like, that's a stupid rule. And now it's like, Holy shit. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Given how Daryl explained it. Like how, how is the, does anybody know this? Does the NHL aware of this? Or are they just like, they don't think of this. Like I, I had never thought of it. Like, Maybe nobody knows this is this is a glaring uh, mistake in the rule. It's yeah, absurd. It's just, just one of those things where it's like there's a hole in the wall. No one really ever asks about it, but then everybody just gets used to it. Someone new comes along. Why is there a hole? What the fuck are you talking about? Like, like it was, literally makes it makes literally no sense because it would seem to me like it was just a rule made century ago. No one's ever changed it, and we have big issues because of it. Imagine losing the Stanley Cup on a goal like that. So if you have the ability to use the blue line, meaning as as soon as the puck is on the blue line, just the tip of it. It's in the zone. You're onside. Yeah, I agree, and that's how it should be. That's how it should be, like – it just blows my mind when you hear it. You're like, holy fuck. That is the most simple answer to a really big issue in the NHL. Hopefully there's other people paying attention to what he's saying. Like that's unbelievable. All right. So Tyler Toffoli. <laughs> what you like his first goal? Is that what you're Dude. 
Come I almost on. shit my pants, dude. He makes his debut. Johnny dishes. How, how is that not getting talked about more? Like how, how many guys can make how many guys can make that pass in the NHL? Did you see how it dropped? Like how what is that? Like that's one of the most skilled plays I've ever seen in my life. It like not only did it like drop right for Toffoli, it fucking landed flat. Like it was just mind-bogglingly perfect. It's like Johnny knew to make the puck land flat yeah. so that it wouldn't wouldn't even bounce. It was it was nuts. And then so he scores on one foot. This is the uh, Columbus Jackets game. It was it seemed and then we just fucking ran away. Eh? I this game is like so far gone in my mind already, but like did they ever dominate or what? Like Johnny Gaudreau was on another planet in that game. Yeah, unbelievable. Do you have the game stats there? We could whip through it. I do. I'm like trying to remember the goals, and the only goal I can remember is the Toffoli goal. I know obviously Lindholm scored in it. Um I, we keep coming back to this though. Fucking Nikita Zadorov is great. He has um he he has been probably the most in-season improved player. Rasmus Anderson is the most improved since from last from the start of the season. I think Zadorov is the most improved. Dude, he's been so good. He's been a rock solid beast back there. He's carrying the puck all over the place. It's great. Anyways, the flame. I just say that because he had the second highest game score in this game. Uh, the Flames beat the Blue Jackets 6-2. Oh, shot him 41-20. Power play sucked, went over 2. Um, shot attempts at 5-on-5. Five five. Flames had 57. Columbus had 44. Scoring chances 29-19 to 19 for the Flames. High danger chances 16-17 for Calgary. Top game scorers, Elias Lindholm, Nikita Zadorov, Eric Branson, Johnny Gaudreau, Matthew Chuck. Buddy Brand. And Fuck, you know he's been good, eh? Dude, how dude, they've been so good. And I was meaning to talk about this because it is kind of weird. Like, we were so worried about the defense sucking so this year. So worried. Like, you lose Geo. Rasmus Anderson's coming off the worst season of a defenseman in the entire world we've ever seen in our lives. Noah Hannafin is still kind of like, yeah, maybe. Obviously, Gabranson. And Zadorov didn't inspire much confidence. I mean, Zadorov, not Zadorov, because he we knew he'd be good at defense. But, and have they been good? And Daryl said, somebody asked him, like, well, what's been the difference? And he said, well, personnel makes, makes different personnel makes your team better. He's talking about how Shillington makes them a much more dynamic team from the back end. And then that Gabranson and Zadorov just play really solid defense. And, you know, you, you really didn't have two guys who could play really solid in their own zone last year. The D has just started to go off it. Eh? Fucking Nesterov out there every two games. Um, Like, geez, dude, it's been so much better. So Kent Wilson tweeted this today. Completely unexpected. Every regular on the Flames blue line is scoring at an above average rate at even strength this, this year. He says that if you compare it to only Gio and, and Valimaki 
created um, 0.9 even strength per uh, minutes per 60. Sorry, even strength points per 60 last year. Every single player is above 0.9. Shillington is at 1.39, Tanev 1.27. Dude, like Chris Tanev is like, right? Zdorov and Tanev? Like, those are not offensive guys. Anderson, 1.5. Sorry, 1.05. Velimaki, 1.02. Noah Hannafin. Every single D-man is performing above your best D-man last season in Mark Giordano. Like, I think day, not I think, day by day, period by period, it it is more emphasized what a fucking moron Jeff Ward was. Yeah, but the, my biggest issue is we all already knew that. Yeah, so what a fucking moron Brad was for hiring him. <laughs> Like, you just completely took away an entire season from a really good team. Season and a half? I mean, like, hey, I, that, the first season was 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 pretty good, right? The team bounced yeah, back on the yeah. board. We had a fun playoff series. But then if you're like, if that's how we measure up, holy fuck. But then you already saw all the little writing was on the wall. You saw all the little red flags. You're like, you cannot make this guy your head coach. And I mean, a lot of this is like, I'm blown away at this, but a lot of this is team, like the fact these guys are putting up these kind of numbers, even strength. But a lot of this is coaching because like Daryl Sutter's main priority is having the puck in the offensive zone at even strength at all times. It's zone time. And like, how many games you watch this? Like the Flames always have the puck in the opponent's zone. Like there has maybe been like, what one or two games where they haven't had the puck more than the other team this year. They're the best five on five team in the league for my money. And it's, I don't even know if it's particularly close. Well, not even just your money. I mean, if you look at most of the, yeah, like I think they're right there, like one, two with like Florida in terms of like uh, quality shot share at five on five and uh, possession at five on five, like, they're just so good right now, and they're playing such structured hockey. Like, this is a system I can trust to take a take a Jeff Ward quote. Right. So you have Columbus, you got Anaheim back-to-back nights, and you have 6-2 crushings on back-to-back nights. For a bit there, though, the Anaheim game was pretty close. And Anaheim's a fun little team to watch, eh? Yeah, I really liked watching Anaheim. They're feisty. They don't quit. They gave the Flames a bit of trouble in the second period. They do have quite a bit of skill. Oh, dude, that Milano goal was sick. Oh, Zegers is pretty deadly. I mean, the turning point is obviously killing. How many penalties did they have in the first period? That was ridiculous. Like six minutes straight, wasn't it? Well, okay, what was the major penalty? Was there a major penalty in this game? There was a double minor. Was this a high stick? I don't know why I'm fucking blanking like an idiot. Yeah, I think it was a high stick or, yeah. Was it Monaghan or, or it was something stupid? Wasn't it Lindholm? It was dumb, whatever it was. Um, and like, holy shit. Has... Okay, five on five, the Flames have been great. The penalty kill is on another oh, planet, dude. Dude, it's ridiculous. Like, and it's unbelievable when it's like, hey, Trevor Lewis is out there. Erica Branson's out there. Chris Tanev's out there. I mean, Tanev is an exception because he's awesome. But it's not like 
you wouldn't have those guys like killing penalties for team Canada in an Olympic game or something. It's like Trevor Lewis and Erica Branson out there as part of one of the most elite penalty killing units in the game. It's fucking great. This one's funny because Lindholm gets two goals, even though, man, that first one did Monaghan not, they never showed a real Monaghan wanted that so bad. They never showed a real like close overhead of that, hey, because it really looked like it wasn't for sure going in. So Monaghan chipped at it. It looked like it probably could have been either or. It probably wasn't a hundred percent across the goal line. And I mean, the fact, yeah, the NHL would have changed it, right? Yeah, they must have looked at it, but poor Monaghan wanted that so bad, you know, he did. Lindholm's got the two goals, and then the game it's four two. Ducks pull the. The goalie, and then it's Johnny Gaudreau and Elias <laughs> Lindholm on a two and one, and Lindholm gives it to Johnny. Johnny doesn't want to fucking score; he wants to set up Elias. Like that was pretty funny, hey? That was hilarious. He's like looking around. He's like, but he well, knew he... Daryl was gonna beat his ass if he didn't bury it. While he's shooting, he's still kind of like putting his arms up in the air, like, "Where, where are you? What are you doing?" <laughs> And then he pants a little and he's just laughing. Fuck, he's a beauty, eh? Dude, he's so great. And like, fuck, man. Maybe he should be the captain. I don't know. It's interesting how Chucky's game has really changed, eh? He, yeah, like he's, again, I keep saying this. He's quietly been the team's best player this year. But, but, but there's no, I mean, he's totally tapered off on the antics. I mean, I he's mean, he, still. Yeah. Look, he's still a fucking pest to play against, but he's doing it where he's doing most of his damage on the scoreboard. He goes after Geo a bit, but um, there's no antics. And it's like he's really, he's really, uh, and I mean, for us, I think we've always loved that. So we weren't looking for him to get rid of it, but he has really refined his game this year. And become i think he's definitely gone to a new level oh no it's not even i think man yeah like, like is, especially compared to last year if you're now one of the best two-way players and play drivers in the entire league and that was the exchange yeah tone it down the antics and that's why i'll take it i mean he's still he still gets gets uh he's still a bit of a pest it's just it's not ridiculous on either end of the spectrum. But, I mean, he still went after Muzz in there when they played Toronto, and he's getting guys' faces. Oh, and- dude, he was targeting Geo for quite a bit in the Seattle game, gave him a few licks, went after him. So but his role it in. his role's also changed. Yeah. Right? Like, he's gone from second-line shutdown on the second-line shutdown line that also contributes offensively on the, you know, what was it, the th- yeah. triple M line? But now he's his role has completely changed. Now he's expected to deliver on the top line every single night. So there's that aspect too. Like if he was still on that second line where you're playing against the top opposition, I'm sure actually he would lean more heavily into the into the pest. But yeah, how can you argue with what you're seeing from Matthew Kachuk this season? And he's playing. It's not like who's the best player on that line. It's really. It's, it's really be- hard to say. I think it's still Kachuk. 
like Johnny Gaudreau is probably the best offensive player in the world right now, but like night in and night out. I, I don't know how else to explain this to people. I think if you watch the flames closely enough, you understand how good Matthew Chuck is and has been this year. Um, He's just every area of his game is just fantastic. Every and, area, like yeah. every area. And again, like, I don't know how he kind of has gone like unnoticed or, or on um, kind of under the radar. Cause I think he has, I mean, definitely in, you know, like the discourse I've listened to, most people are like, Oh, Gaudreau. And I know Lindholm, like Gaudreau and Lindholm have been like stars of the week in the NHL. Um, but fuck like Matthews, he's been so good. Yeah. He's doing it really quietly. He's just not, he is kind of flashy. Like he had that disgusting toe drag goal and he goes through the legs. But... Like for, for a guy who leads the, well, I guess he's second in goals behind Montepani, but he has more goals than Lindholm um, and is second on the team in points and is on pace to have a 90 point campaign Ooh. while being one of the best two-way players in the league probably the best two-way player in the division right now because Mark Stone's hurt. Um, it's a pretty remarkable season he's having. All right, let's let's hear the game stats for Anaheim because this this one was interesting. This was a fun game. Yeah, it was a fun game. and it, You were kind of in suspense there for a bit. It was 2-1. Anaheim was going toe-to-toe with her chances for a bit. But then it just like... Flames open the floodgates. Yeah, it became pretty heavily favored. So the Flames outshoot them 43 to 28. The power play goes two for five, which sure helps. PK goes two for two. Uh, Shot attempts at five on five are 37 to 26 for Calgary. Scoring chances 21 13. The high danger chances are seven apiece. So, in terms of quality chances, it was pretty close. Uh, top game scores, Ras Daddy has the top game score. Johnny Gaudreau, Elias Lindholm, Matthew Chuck, Noah Hannafin are the top five. Dude, you know you're having a solid season when consistently there's players for the Flames in the plus four for game scores each and every night. Well, dude, I think uh, last I checked it, Johnny Gaudreau leads the league in average game score. Like, geez, and I think Lindholm's definitely in the top five. Majapani's up there, isn't he? Yeah, he must be. Or is it expected goals? Let's take a quick look. Top, uh, yeah. Oh, Kachuk's in his, in the top ten now. Top average game score. The top five are Johnny Gaudreau one point seven, Miko Rantanen one point seven three, Austin Matthews one point seven, Matthew Kachuk one point six eight, Nikita Kucherov one point six three. Those are your top five. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. those are the best players in the fucking league right there. Sure are. Like those are monsters, and it's interesting because you know Daryl's talking about this when he's talking about the Seattle game post game. He says the difference is that he's talking about Seattle. Seattle does not have a game breaker, and for the longest time he was saying we don't. And if you look at that top line, like hey, if you want to talk about scoring big time goals. Johnny's had a few, right? He had the the was it the series clincher against no the, the game one of the game winners in, against the Ducks. He had that big season. game tying goal, uh, um, in round two against the Ducks with like twenty seconds left. That was massive. 
Kachuk's had a few, right? The betweener for Nashville, which, by the way, I just watched the top 100 plays of the decade. And that's number five. Unbelievable. Of the decade. And this is across the Zeri fucking sport on there. There's ping pong highlights on there, dude. And I fucking missed that overtime because I quit watching. What a yo, idiot. what a dumbass. I remember <laughs> where I was. I was pulled over on the side of the road listening to it on the radio. You know, you, you know what you gotta do is you gotta go back and watch that entire game again. Uh, but just watch Kachuk the entire game. He is masterful. That might be his best game I've ever seen him play. But he's been playing some good hockey this season, but but my point is, is that Lindholm is slowly becoming a bit of that game breaker. Is he not? Like he's starting to develop, develop that reputation on this team. As like, okay, you know, you know, you need a big goal. Who's going to be the guy? Yeah. Well, probably it's going to come from that top line. But right now, the way he's playing, it's just like, obviously you can't keep this pace. You're scoring every single fucking game. But if he can continue putting pucks in the net, he might become that guy, right? You have to fully bring it to fully. He's been that guy in the past. So there's always that too. Monahan is, seems like centuries ago, he was that guy. But I don't know. Lindholm might be turning into a bit of a game breaker. This year, Lindholm's currently tied for fifth in game winning goals with, wow. Sam, with Sam Bennett. <laughs> oh man well hey you can't win them all you can't win them all we're doing pretty good yeah would we would we be any better with sam bennett currently i mean if you swap bennett out for monahan maybe Oof. but would it would bennett have kick-started here that's the question i still blame the organization for dragging him down to the point he did but I think he would have under Daryl, probably. Yeah, probably. Everybody has. Every fucking player on this Dude, team. Erica Branson is, like, awesome. Give me a break. You're telling me Sam Bennett wouldn't have figured it out under Daryl Sutter? Like, the only guys who are having trouble are, like, the guys who are having tr- – well, we've seen Dubé be really good before, but – He still hasn't figured it out. Yeah. He's but maybe good. he's just learning – to play well, the right and way. like he did have a really good game against Anaheim. Yep. Which kind of sucks because then he kind of got benched the next game because he wasn't very good. But that Anaheim game was, you know, kind of signs of life for Dylan Dubé. Well, he scored back to back goals, Columbus yeah. and Anaheim. Yep. And that shorthanded goal he scored against uh, Columbus was like, holy fuck, thank the Lord I scored a goal. I don't know if it's confidence with Dubé or or what it is, but um, all I know is that him and Monaghan together have, haven't have worked very well. Well, Monaghan just seems to kind of bring everybody down, doesn't he? Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know what to do with him anymore. Like, it's the thing is, it's not like he's bad, right? Um, Well, he's bad but it's not like he's dragging the entire team down. It's just like when he's on the ice, there's a noticeable drop in play from his line. There's just not, he's just not driving play. He just doesn't do enough. Like 
you I you watch Backlund how his game has really improved. He's skating with the puck. He's checking in all three zones. He's positionally doing a really good job. Like Monahan has not been doing those things. Sean is not making things happen. On the opposite, it's kind of like when the play comes toward or near Sean Monahan, everything just kind of stops. It just dies. It just seems like everything just stops. It's just like uh, okay, and then there's some sort of play happens, and then it's just okay. Now, now that that's done, now the play is back into normal mode. Just mm-hmm. kind of feels like that way. But so the Ducks game, last thing is this is the game when Lindholm. There's no way he intentionally passed it to himself, <laughs> right? He's looking for Johnny, but the pass is off a bit. Maybe Johnny was thinking about changing. But he gets the puck back on a weird bounce and goes in and just fucking snipes. Like that was a sick goal, dude. That goal, I you keep watching it. It's just so sweet. The way he just roofs it and does that little toe drag, and even the bend on the stick, how he shoots it. That's oh. that's a sick goal. Like that's probably the yeah, that was sweet. That's like some NHL shit. How many times in in has have we lit up Gibson? It's like the first time of all ever. Yeah, he usually stonewalls us. Usually the other way around. All right. Uh, Listen, Seattle. I always love beating the Ducks because I still hate the Ducks. Just throw that in there. Yeah. And as long as Getzlav's on there, I will continue to hate them. Yeah. So, like you said, the Seattle win is sure. The 6 2 wins are great, but it is those last two wins that impress you because in the past you're losing those games. Walk us through the game for you. You were there, weren't you? Yeah, I was there for old Geo. Well, fuck. Oh, thanks for having me back, everybody. It seems to me like he's gotten like three of these things now, hasn't he? Has he not been into the <laughs> dome like a bunch of times? Many fucking well, he was he... there for a preseason game. And then he was supposed to come back in December. And it was canceled because the Flames had their little COVID outbreak or whatever. Um, so it's kind of been a, f- a couple of false starts for old Geo. But um, it was, it. I don't know, like comparing it, I thought it was going to be a bigger deal, and it kind of wasn't, I guess, probably because he's already been back. Compared to the Jerome McGinley comeback when he was in Boston, which I get, it's Jerome McGinley, Mark Giordano, not quite the same. Um but the Aginla one was like one of the most emotional nights of all time. And it- All right, sorry for the interruption, folks. Just got to get an award from our sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. So for NBA fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get 150 bucks in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state or you live in Canada, you can still get a big payday with huge cash prizes from DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN as in the Hockey Podcast Network and bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. Promo code is THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus only minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. There's a minimum $5 deposit 
If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you live in Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9789. If you're in Connecticut, call 888-789-7 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY. It was a big fucking deal. Um, but with Gio, it was just kind of like, yeah, they showed the video tribute. And that was that. And then Kachuk like elbowed him and went after him a bunch of times. It's pretty awesome. And then Gio goes after back at the end of the game, eh? Dude, he's been waiting. Everybody, I guess people are bad about that. Like, Gio's probably been fucking waiting so long to peg Backlund, eh? <laughs> well, it was interesting, though. Like, you're bringing up the, the Chucky thing. I didn't see. When did he go after him? I know he went after him after he cross-checked G, uh, Backlund. Well, he finished his check hard a few times on him. He gave him a few, like when you're at the game and you can see, like, and you can watch guys more closely, you pick up these things a bit more. He gave him a few little extra. Yeah, because uh, you can look behind the. Yeah, he gave him stuff. a few little extra shots, cross-check here, whack there. He was targeting him. Like, you can tell when Kachuk's targeting the guy. Like, Probably. he just. Probably getting him back for throwing him under the bus after the muzzin thing, eh? Yeah, totally. He's just like, fuck you, Gio. That's what I I've finally getting all his rage out. Um and then somebody drilled Gio like kind of from behind. Was that Dubay? Who was I think that? it was Mon I thought it was Kachuk, but it might have been Dubay. No, it might have been Monahan, actually. No, it wasn't either one of those guys. Yeah, I think it might have been Monge. Anyways, it was a rough night for poor Gio. Seattle's not very good. Well, this is what I wanted to ask you was when you're watching. Because before the game, you're kind of like, oh, fuck, I can't. Then you're like, dude, this guy's on a terrible fucking team. And here you are, you get him this big fucking welcoming montage video tribute. And isn't that kind of like an oxymoron? Like he like Brad's just sitting up in the fucking whenever they showed whenever they showed Gio on the bench. Same Geo. He's out of gas, can't breathe. Faces all red. Visors fogging up, just keeled over because he's fucking working his balls off. But you're like, this poor fucking guy. Brad Tree Living somehow played the hero card in all this. I don't understand how. <laughs> but totally fucking abandons this guy. The guy that's been the lifeblood of your organization. And the look, best we were, defenseman in the entire league over the past 10 years cumulatively. We never won dick all with Gio because he was injured during the one playoff round we won. So it's just like there's an argument to be made against that. But still, why you give him this video tribute right after you just just kind of just left him out to fucking. It's like shoving his face right in a pile of shit or something. I don't know how I feel about it now. I'm just like, I'm oh, I'm kind of getting over it. Because like I don't know, great. it still bugs me. We're great, but it's just like, man, like part of me is like you're giving him video tributes, but you just fucked him over. It should have been an apology tribute. It should have just been like sorry. It should have just been Brad making yeah. an apology, uh, fucking apology. That's it. <laughs> it's like some you presidential know, address or something. You should, honestly, how that would have been awesome. Just been like Geo, we're so sorry. You couldn't be part of the success, although I guess I'd be kind of rubbing it. That might be, <laughs> that might be even worse, eh? Maybe he called me. Hey, I figured out a fuck. Just like, sorry, bud. Well, like, honestly, like, I, I don't think the Flames are going to trade for Mark Giordano, but I would absolutely think it would 
if the opportunity presented itself, I think it would be a hundred percent slam dunk. I know some people are like, no, it'll upset the chemistry. It's like, come on, Daryl Sutter's behind the bench. This team is playing lights out, adding a good defenseman to the roster is not going to hurt. I don't know, man. This is like maybe the one instance where I think it might. What would it upset? Would it upset like, because well, like because maybe some lingering shit. No, I think more than anything, but I'm sure it would get worked out because you said like Daryl's there, but it might be a hierarchy thing, right? Because Gio's always been top of the totem pole. He's been the captain and you're not making him your captain. If you pick him up at the deadline, like it's obviously not going to happen. Come on. And I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure he would figure it out, but his relationship to that group in the past would be a different relationship as it would be in the future. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I don't know. I'm, I see some of the other names. I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm, I don't, I think I've moved on. Yeah. I, I, I would be, if he was on the team, I'd be pretty stoked as a huge geo guy. Um, the fact that they're really good certainly helps me uh, move on, but. I don't know. I would like to see him back on the team. Not that I haven't moved on, but if if he was back on the team, I'd I'd be happy. I don't know. I I just I think Daryl would know what to do, and he's a good defenseman, and that's all I need to know. Yeah, I'm not worried about any player fucking shit. I'm gonna. That's a good actually. I'm gonna pull that on Twitter because that's a that's an interesting. That might be pretty fifty fifty. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I know a lot of people are in the same mindset as. I think you're speaking to a different thing where it's like his just move on. But I think some people do think it would upset a lot of things. I don't know if it would just because of Daryl, but probably would be a good idea to maybe table that for an off season type thing. Maybe kind of like sign him to a cheap deal. If he wants to come back as opposed to insert him back in the lineup now, but again, like fuck man, we're one injury away from having Mike stone in the lineup. So let's, uh, Knock just on remember wood. Remember that. Anytime you think or say injury, knock on wood. Yeah. Like, because imagine we've... if Tanev goes down. Imagine if Johnny. Holy goes down. fuck! You want Geo? You'd want Geo out there if, if Tanev went down, and you're seeing. Well, I guess Valimaki would come up, but still, like, come on, playoff series. You really want Valimaki out there over a guy like Geo? Well, I can see now. Now that you went out and you addressed your scoring depth, now. I get the argument. I think we could use a, a, a what do you call it? Defenseman. Uh, what are they called? Depth. Depth, defense. depth defenseman. And there's some interesting names going on there. James Johnson on Twitter posted this. Flames are linked to Dahan, Geo, Klinberg, Sherratt still. I think there might have been one other guy there. But out of those, out of those guys, out of that, that little. That was, geez, man. It's late. My brain is starting to shut down, but out of that list, who interests you? Like, Klingberg was fucking awesome when we played the Dallas. That's all I've really seen of him, but. I still like Geo out of all those guys. Not even if it was just, like, player, like, what he does for you. I still think Geo would be um, my my player preference. Imagine Geo on a Daryl Sutter playoff team. Yeah, like. Does anybody like any end for all the shit? Um, 
I, I does everybody forget that like Geo and once Daryl took over, Geo was Geo played with Tanev and they were fucking amazing. Hag and Braun were also on the list. Not Braun. Hag could Hag could maybe be a Daryl guy. I don't think Klingberg is coming here. He's too expensive, isn't he? Well, doesn't he make like I think his contract is actually pretty uh pretty tolerable. Um, I think it's like in the four and a half million dollar range or something. I could be wrong about that, but I, I feel like he wouldn't be a guy, Brad. Like he'd probably have to spend a lot to get him. Like Dallas is in the middle of a playoff push. I don't know if that's the best fit. Like, where does he go? And he's not a depth guy, you know. Like he would be no, a guy who'd come four. in and play in your top four for sure. So I think you're probably looking at a more an accessory piece. Brad's favorite. He should have no problem finding one of those guys. Or two or three. Or ten. All right. Can we have the game stats for Seattle? Good sir. So yeah. First this- off, I will say the Chucky goal. Oh fuck, dude. Like what a snipe. He gets that. Like what's what's the the stop time on how quick he releases that and it's just bar down. It's like at the corner, it's top shelf. Like no one's stopping that. That was sweet. And again, a really good example of how good that line is in terms of forechecking and keeping the puck in the zone. Um, like they were turning like the flames are sloppy. Maybe it's because I was there and I was just watching stuff a lot more closely. They were sloppy, but they were forechecking like mad. They were turning pucks over like mad themselves. They were all over it. Um, and Seattle's a frustrating team to play, but that's just a great example of how great the forecheck it's <laughs> how good the Flames forecheck is going when they're rolling. Plus, the game report shows how bad you actually did dominate them. Oh, yeah. So the Flames outshoot them 37 to 23. No power plays for the Flames. Well, what did it matter though? But it doesn't even matter because, like, that was a perfect, like I was saying, like those one nothing games against Detroit way back in 2004. This is the this is a perfect Daryl Sutter game. Five on five, pretty much the whole time outside one penalty, and the Flames dominated. Fifty five shot attempts to Seattle's 33, 28 scoring chances to Seattle's 11, 16 high danger chances to Seattle's two, two, two. Top game scores: Nikita Zadorov, Matt Kachuk, Elias Lindholm, Chris Tanev, Eric Brits. Although I did have Blake Coleman. As my picks, I pick a top performer just based on whatever, how I feel. He was fucking great in that game. That's the Blake Coleman. I He was scrappy. He oh, yeah. fought. He was laying the body. He was all over it. There was one shift. Well, there was a, two consecutive shifts. That, that line was fantastic against Seattle. But there was one, a couple shifts in particular where they were just like unbelievable. So good to watch. Turning pucks over, flying through the neutral zone, laying the body, forechecking like monsters. That's the line that I was hoping to see in the offseason when we acquired Blake Coleman and we were like, hey, we can have a fucking buzzsaw second line. That's what I want to see. And holy shit, highlight of the night, Jacob Markstrom. Like This is kind of a boring game. The Flames had 16 high-danger scoring chances, but didn't really feel like it. The two pad stack. A fucking two pad stack. Oh, Jordan Everly. Oh, man. Like, here we are sitting here talking about this 10 game winning streak and how good the Flames have been. And we've barely even mentioned Markstrom. 
It's incredible. That's how good they've been. I think I'd still like to get Everly. Oh yeah, dude. He's he's so he's like partially because he used to play on the Oilers. And I'd love to stick it to them when we win the cup. Partially because I've always loved the guy, but he would be a perfect fit here. Perfect fit. He's already played that style of playing on the island. He's playing a defensive game in Seattle. He'd be easy, easily fit in. So Lindholm with the, with the winner in back-to-back games. Um, the Winnipeg game is interesting. Let's start with the game stats before we discuss the game. Well, I missed the first period because so did I. The game is at two. Right in the middle of the day when there's lots of stuff going on. Like, okay. Um, but the Flames, again, like, remember how I said, how many times have you seen the Flames, you know, not have the puck more than the other team in a game? It's, like, so rare. It never happened. Flames out shoot them 31 to 23. Power play goes one for four. Penalty kill goes three for three. Shot attempts at five on five were 41-33 for the Flames. Scoring chances 22 to 20. The high danger chances, Winnipeg did have 13 to the Flames nine. Um, but the Flames did actually have a higher expected goals for uh, percentage, 52% to the Jets, 48. So some tip and rebound chance. Um, some more dangerous of the high danger chances. So um, you probably gave up a little more than you wanted to in that game against the Jets, but Marshall was really good. Yeah, he was awesome. This is like... Because usually you're like, hey, Hellebuck was the better goalie. Oh, geez. But um, he's turning into Hellebuck, how clutch Hellebuck has been over the past however many number of seasons. Like Markstrom is turning into this guy where he's consistently awesome. Well, and I are people, I don't know if I'm worried about him being overworked because he seems to be handling it just fine. I've completely let go of worrying about anything. Yeah, unless he's hurt, unless he's hurt or anything, like I don't see any reason to not think Daryl knows what he's doing, um, in terms of goalie starts. But fuck, has he been good? Like, and then so, you you look at how Smith, you see oh the man. Smith against Minnesota. Holy fuck, dude, Mike, dude, I don't think Mike Smith is bouncing back. Is this his third season with the Oilers? Because remember the 19, first, 20, 2021, yeah. The first season that he played with us, he was awesome. Dude, he was so good. And then he got injured late in the season. Yeah. Because for league couldn't hit an empty net or something. Yeah. And then he sucked ever since. And I think you're we're I think we're seeing the exact same thing. He was actually he's been good for the Oilers. He ran into some injury trouble this season. He is having a hard time bouncing back, dude. Well, when you're that, when he's that old, and like for all the hate we give Smith, like if you listen to the show for the last few years, you know that we fucking, he was, we've always said he was awesome that first year he was here. Like he was awesome. Like, holy shit, was he good. Um, but he's an athletic goalie, he doesn't really rely on positioning. Like he needs to be healthy to be able to do that. Fuck! What a contrast. Because I did watch the the others. The first two shots went. 
Well, Man. he scored. Uh, it was three on four, five shots. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Like at the start of the season, I had him in a pool. Oh yeah. It was, it was a win-win. Well, yeah, exactly. If he doesn't win, then I am ecstatic. And if he does, at least I'm getting points in my pool. But now I had to drop him because it's not a win-win. He's so he's been so bad that he's killed my pool. Yeah, he's gonna like man. I'm I was reticent at the time when they gave Jacob Markstrom all that money in all those years to to prevent the Oilers from signing him. Wow. Does that ever look like a good decision? And then who are they going to get? I was just watching SportsCenter or some shit. And, like, who's available for goalies? Apparently, Flurry is is uh, is there going to go somewhere. Yeah, didn't they say Vegas wanted him back or some shit? Was it Vegas? I thought it was yeah. someone else. Oh, it was uh, Washington, I think. Sounds like... Washington wants him, but I, I was literally just watching this like an hour ago, and they're like, "Yeah, the only seen a goaltender who we don't know who it's going to be. Maybe, uh, maybe it's Holtby." <laughs> I'm just like, "Okay," and then they're saying maybe Samsonov if if uh, Washington if Flurry goes to Washington, but they didn't say anything about Flurry. Oh well, yeah, I remember. Not I was critical of the. Chris Tanev signing for sure. I was scared of the Jacob Marshall contract, but one of the one uh, right spots positives was that that was really the only opportunity to get a guy in this window because there weren't a lot of goalies on the market for the yeah. next couple of years. So, and and your concern was it was maybe a slight overpay, but you'll take it all day long since it prevented the Oilers from having a goaltender. Fuck the Oilers, dude. That's like just cherry on top. Um, but I mean, like in all honesty. I've said this a hundred times is like, did the flames make the playoffs last year with Jacob Barkstrom and Chris Tanev? No, no, their primary need was the coach and some goal scoring. So now that they've addressed that, those things are fucking great. You know? So if you address now that the primary needs have been addressed, did the others fall into the place? Did the others make the playoffs with Mike Smith? Last <laughs> they did. And then what happened? Then they got <laughs> fucking swept, bitch. Fuck, that was awesome. All right, so coming into this game against Winnipeg, there's a change. The power play. Defoli is on the top power play unit. Thank God. I watched a um, Daryl interview about it. And it was always his inten- intention to get to, Defoli to on the PP1, but he wanted to give him some time. And um, but he says the he had some critique for the power play. They're all saying that there's not they don't get enough shots. They don't get enough shots. They don't get enough shots from the slot. They don't get enough shots from a pie. Everything's perimeter. He's saying, and he thinks that having both Lindholm and Toffoli as options is going to change that. So it was nice to see him actually address the power play because God forbid someone in the media should ask him about it. One of the you know biggest weaknesses on this great team. Um, but I really, really hope that he has enough to turn it around. Obviously, you have they hey, they're starting to see a little bit of a different formation here and there. You're starting to see some more cross crease passes or cross ice cross ice passes, and you actually saw a cross cross crease attempt 
Johnny just about buried one. So let's hope this PP turns around because if you can get this PP clicking where it's actually top eight as a threat to score big goals, this that could take this team to the top five level. And Kent said, if you're in a top, if you're one of the top five teams in the league, that's what you want, where you want to be. You have a shot at winning the cup. So you want to be a top five team for as long as you can. But if we're in a top five position, like seriously, dude, if we had a deadly power play, if our if our power play was even half as deadly as Edmonton, how scary would this team be? Dude, and that's what I can't understand is like you look at how good the top line is at scoring goals at on five on five. Why the shit can't they get it? Why well like, that that's how poorly the power play is being managed? Like that top unit who's the, one of the best lines in the entire NHL. Like get the power play figured out. Like right now, the Flames using Money Pucks model are the best team in the league in terms of expected goals percentage at five on five. They're second. In terms of shot attempts at five on five, like in terms of actual goals for total goals for they're sixth in the league. Five on five goals against they are first in the league. Like this is an absolutely elite team at five on five. You know how good the penalty kill is. Penalty kill is probably the best in the entire league. Second. Like they said that in the last broadcast. It's second now. It's just so good right now. Um, if you can get the power play figured out, like how good are you? And I know in terms of percentages, they're actually okay, but you could go toe to toe with teams like the lightning and the Panthers and the Bruins and the avalanche. If you can just get that power play up three, two percentage points, even it's going to be top eight. dude. Yeah. So, okay. Um, Winnipeg, we already talked about it, but Elias is the hero again, even though goal, goal scoring is not his forte. Yeah, even though goal scoring is not his forte. I just checked. I had the game-winning goal stat, a game-winning goal leaders over the past three years pulled up. Um, yeah, Elias Lindholm is sixth in the entire league in the past three years. But according to Eric, his, his uh, forte is not scoring goals. No, no. According to Eric, uh, Johnny Goudreau, what's Johnny Goudreau's five and five stats in the past three seasons? Because oh, yeah. According yeah. to Eric Francis, he's all he is is a power play specialist. Doesn't score many goals. Doesn't yeah. score many points. Five on five, according to Eric. He's just a power play specialist at this point in his career. He's not the current leader in, uh, you know, even strength points in the entire NHL, you know. He's uh, he's not this, this this team's best forward, not even close, Yeah, according to Eric Francis. Dude, is that is... Really, is he really that dumb? Or is he just that big of a jackass that he... I, I would say the latter. I would say he just... It's not that he's that dumb it's that he's that big an ass that he just comes up with these things doesn't verify them before he says them what it like isn't that part of being a sports reporter is you actually report what's real you're not just like oh yeah johnny <laughs> gaudreau is not a five-on-five producer he's just nice nah, he's a power play specialist yeah check the stats actually he's in top five in scoring in five-on-five since entering the league like i mean even take the last 
two years, which have been down years for Gaudreau, he's 11th in the entire league in terms of even strength points. Like, and that's with two of his weaker years. Eric Francis, slip on ice, fall up the stairs or down, I don't care. Don't turn the lights on before walking into the, down the basement. So Elias Lindholm has as many game-winning goals over the past three years as Gabriel Landeskog and is only behind David Pasternak, Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, and Settle in terms of game-winning goals. Yeah, the scoring is not your forte, though, is it? No, it's definitely not. And he's 14th in the entire league in terms of goals. He's got 71 over the past three years. All right, Toffoli gets the empty netter. Toffoli's now won four games with the Calgary Flames, four in a row since he's joined the team. Did you know, pop quiz for you, Toffoli's won four games in a week with the Calgary Flames. Do you know how many games he won as a Montreal Canadian this season <laughs> before joining the Flames? It's got to be less than nine or less than eight, maybe. Is it eight? Eight. That's rough. How happy are you if you're tired to Foley right now? You're probably pretty happy, um, except that it's been minus 30 the last two days, so that's probably kind of sucks. Otherwise, he's probably pretty happy. Like, it was so cold this morning, I almost froze my nuts off. So, um you know, he maybe misses a little bit of a warmer winter and some nicer walking weather and maybe a downtown that doesn't look like a shithole. But he's probably pretty happy. All right, so 10 games in a row. We've talked about it's tied a franchise record. Let's close it out on this. Out of those last 10 wins, which are your top three out of the 10? Whether it be the the favorite or the most important, give me your top three. I've already got mine picked. Well, I think the Winnipeg game, just because it has all the classics of a game the Flames normally lose, afternoon game, close, tight game. Like, they never seem to beat the Jets, and I know Markstrom hasn't beaten the Jets. They've had trouble with the Jets. So I like to see them beat a Western Conference team who plays big and has big boys. Um, in a close game. So I like that. The Ducks game was just really fun to win. Um, I really like kicking the Leafs' ass. Is that three? That's three already. That's let, three. Me, let me let me uh, go Winnipeg, Toronto, and the comeback against Dallas. All right. We're close. And I agree with you, but I'm going to go, for me, Toronto is number three. Because that's like the only game out of the 10 that we were probably outplayed five on five. Yeah. But you still found a way to win. You beat down the Leafs and you upset Leafs Nation. Yeah, that's a that's a trifecta. Trifecta. I for number two for me, it's absolutely shit stomping the Vegas Golden Knights the night before that. Mm-hmm. Six nothing. You shut them out. You make them your bitch. You embarrass them. This is a team. Yes, they're not fully healthy, but this is a team you've had issues with since forever, since they've been around in the league. 
You did it at home. This is your first. That was your first game to kick off this massive homestand. So that was a really important game. Number one, I'm going to go with Dallas because that's what that's what kickstarted the entire ten games, and I really think they actually they pushed through a threshold in that game. They came back. They did it against a team, like you said, is big, just like Winnipeg. They're finding ways to beat the skilled teams. They're finding ways to beat the bad teams. They're finding ways to beat the defensive teams. And they're finding ways to beat the big teams. And they're finding ways to beat the young skilled teams in Anaheim. So if you look at the past 10 games, They've played kind of the gauntlet, right? They haven't – I guess they haven't played – well, I mean, the Vegas and Toronto are arguably two contenders, so you can throw that in there too. But we've, we've played all sorts of styles of games and hockey and find found ways to win. All of them. All 10. You've had great goaltending. Everybody's chipping in. The back end's chipping in. But uh, I don't know. I think the, the Dallas game kicked it off. Yeah, that was a huge turning point. And Daryl said something, because uh, I think what we're, we're we're all so used to this team being so fucking up and down, yeah, right. Like Big even time. like even the year they won ten games with Glenn Gulletson, like the previous time they tied this record, that season sucked. They only made the playoffs that year because they went on a ten game winning streak, because Brian Elliott went off for ten, for ten games. Like they were terrible to, for the most part of the rest. Well, of that year. what what kickstarted that? Then Gulletson tossing a stick into the second bowl because they had been fucking god awful. So, Actually, no, didn't he? Wasn't that, that was the they, beer. That was the beer on the train year. I think they won. They had won a game or two or something. And then he oh yeah, out, eh? yeah. Think you're the best fucking deal in the league, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. But Daryl was talking about how good teams don't. They aren't like up and down like that, right? It's just yep. a lot more constant, a lot more straight line. And he said, you know, like, that's why you need veteran guys here who know how to win. Teams that know how to win aren't up and down, was his quote, or something like that. Uh, and, I mean, I think that, fuck, it's not a relief, but it's like, holy fuck, thank you. Because, like, that's what we're all worried about. It's like, hey, when does this team tailspin? That's still probably PTSD. It's like, hey, when does the collapse happen? And it's like they've just been consistently good. Like, outside of their COVID stretch, where they were on that street, where they were on that slump, they've easily been a top three team in the league the entire rest of the year. They've been so consistently good. Yeah. I mean, that's the only time during this, this season that they've haven't looked very good is during the COVID stretch. But like you said, Daryl is continuing. Doesn't matter. You're on a 10 game win streak. He's still looking for ways to build and make his team better and make the players better, and he's holding that accountability. Pretty much after every single one of these games, yeah. pretty much all the media is just like, so you're good now, right, coach? <laughs> hey, the season's turned around, right? Can you take your foot off the gas? Can you rest your head on that pillow, that cushion? And Daryl's just like, what the fuck are you idiots talking about? We're not fucking here to have regular season success. It means nothing. We don't get there without reaching 100 points. 
That's our fucking goal. We came into it. We want to get there as soon as we as soon as we can. And we mentioned it during this podcast earlier. He's building the entire time. Like you said, everything currently going on in this regular season is just fucking practice for the real deal come April. <laughs>